The other day, our middle son, Ben, and his wife packed up their four kids. Three of them are five and under. And they began their journey to Pennsylvania for vacation. Uh, they're going to spend time with her parents and brothers and their families and, and all. And uh, they stopped in St. Louis, went to the zoo. They stopped in Kentucky and went to the Ark Encounter, uh, which is fantastic if you haven't seen it and you get in that part of the country, you've got to make sure you do. Now, in their van that they have, they have built-in DVD players in the backs of the two front seats, uh, which can be seen by everybody in the back, two seats in the back row. Uh, they've got iPads. They've got other electronics to keep them busy. Uh, you know, we made up some stuff for them, you know, like some uh, to look for different things while they're traveling and coloring sheets and, and all of that. And, you know, things were different when we traveled with our four kids uh, five years from the oldest to the youngest. And they had to find ways to entertain themselves. So in spite of that, we had some great adventures, good memories and a few bad memories. Uh, one trip to Florida, we initiated the state of Georgia uh, when we stopped at the uh, Welcome to Georgia Center. Uh, I won't go into any details. Uh, we went to Toronto one year, and like the day before we were going to leave, Diane um, ended up getting a, a cut just above her heel, almost cut the tendon. So she was in a wheelchair or pushing her around. And we were on our way to uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, I think. I can't even remember where we were headed. Uh, and we were pulling our camper, and we broke down in State College, Pennsylvania. And I remembered seeing a United Methodist Church back up the road not too far, and so I called there, and pastor and his wife came and got us, and, you know, we were there for dinner, and we uh, got a, a tour of... Uh, Penn State and and also, you know, all those adventures we still talk about when we get together. And we're so thankful for the memories that we have as a family. You know, we've got tons and tons of pictures. Uh, and so it's just, you know, good to, to do those things together as a family and be able to have those memories that you can draw on. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks for all those good memories and good times that we've had uh, with our children and, and their children and spouses. And Lord, it's just been, um, it's been good. And I thank you for those times, that, Lord, you have blessed us to be able to, to do that. So, Father, as um, we look at your word, Lord, help us to see that, uh, you know, we need to remember your word that that's more important than the other memories that we have in our lives. But, Father, just um, bless us as we listen to your message. Open our minds, our hearts, and let your spirit um, work in us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we all need help from time to time. You know, maybe we're going, money's a little difficult. 
Uh, and that reminds me of when we broke down at State College, we had to get a, a bunch of stuff done to our van and we spent all of our money. And so we turned around and went back home. And like the next day, I went into my office at the church and somebody had slid an envelope under the door with, I can't remember how much, but three, four hundred dollars or more. So we could still go and do a little bit anyways. Um, but sometimes we need help in relationships, you know, whether it's uh, work-related or spouse or parents or children or uh, co-workers, whatever it might be. Uh, we need help as when we're going through grief, when uh, someone that's close to us passes and, Lord, we're just really struggling. Uh, we need help sometimes keeping a job, finding a job, getting that promotion that we hope to get. Um, we need help dealing with our hobbies sometimes. Sometimes our hobbies can kind of take over our lives. And, you know, we'd help when we're sick. You know, back in January when my wife and I both had COVID at the same time and she had it worse than I did. And so I was doing as much as I could to help her and our sons were helping out and other people. And so, you know, we need help a lot of times in different ways. And we need help also in our spiritual growth. You know, that's why, you know, you should be doing uh, devotions of some kind uh, on your own or with a group. You have a Bible study, small group, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, so you're not just going and sitting in church on Sunday morning for an hour and, you know, that's it. Uh, because you're not really going to grow too much if that's all you're doing. Well, as we read through the Old Testament, we find God's children often in need of help. Not the kind of help that you and I need, at least I hope not, but they always seem to be going into battle with someone. It was the Israelites versus the Hittites and the Midianites and the Ammonites and the Canaanites and a bunch of other ites. Well, one that they especially battled with, seemed like time and time again, were the Philistines. Now, I'm not sure why they were the Philistines, not the Philites or something like that, but they were kind of a regular opponent. Well, in 1 Samuel 7, we find a battle brewing once again with the Philistines. Okay, it's something else that we see in the Old Testament is that the Israelites had kind of a off and on relationship with God. And their relationship had been off. And in chapter um, 7, <clears throat> excuse me, in chapter 7 of 1 Samuel, we see that they're returning to God once again. And so in verses 3 and 4, this is what we find. So, so Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Asherahs and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and their Asherahs and served only the Lord. Well, then all the Israelites were gathered together and they confessed their sins, they fasted, and they had a strong relationship once again with the Lord. Well, when the Philistines heard about this, they thought it would be a good time to attack. 
came because everybody was just kind of celebrating the relationship, getting back together. Well, when the Israelites heard this, that struck fear into their hearts. You know, oh, here comes our big enemy, going to get us again. So Samuel cried out to God and presented a sacrifice to the Lord. And this is what happened in verses 10 and 11 of 1 Samuel 7. It says, while Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out to Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below beth Kar. Now, notice in verse 10 that it was God that won the battle. Okay, the Israelites just were on cleanup duty. <clears throat> Excuse me, killing the Philistines. Now, here's where I want to go with this message. Okay, in verse 12, it says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and he named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far, the Lord has helped us. Why Ebenezer? Okay, I mean, why did he have to name it at all, you know? Or, you know, he could have named it Fred or whatever. But why Ebenezer? Well, because in Hebrew, that means stone of help. So Samuel knew that it was the Lord that had given them victory. So praise was needed to be given to him. Now, Ebenezer, not a name we hear today. And it's not that often in the Bible. It's only three times, and all three times it's in 1 Samuel. The first two times, it's a name of a place. Not a lot of boys are named Ebenezer. Uh, though back in the uh, 20 teens, I guess, in that era, uh, it became a little more popular. Uh, you know, you probably wouldn't find it on pencils or name tags, you know, keychains, any place. Uh, the only Ebenezer that I've ever heard of is Ebenezer Scrooge. Okay, there's a somewhat popular hymn, <coughs> excuse me, that mentions Ebenezer. And after we'd sung it a few times, I was curious you know, what that meant and where it came from. So I went to 1 Samuel seven twelve for an answer. But it didn't really answer my questions. If anything, it raised more questions. So I started searching for an answer, and I came on this, okay? Because this hymn, you know, like I said, was something that, you know, was quite popular, at least in the mainstream Protestant churches, uh, but it was written by Robert Robinson, and it says he was a rather difficult, headstrong boy, and when his dad died, things only got worse for his mother. So when he turned 14 in 1749, his mother sent him to London for an apprenticeship. Now, I like to imagine that this was done out of love, the love that she had for, for Robert and to instill some sense of responsibility and structure into young Robert's life. 
But to no one's surprise, he was just as much a troublemaker in London. And to make matters worse, he gained some friends and followers, and he was the leader. When he was 17, he took his gang to a revival service where a well-known preacher at that time, George Whitfield, was speaking. Now, you know, I can just imagine him saying, you know, we're going to go down there and we're just going to cause problems. We'll laugh and, you know, we'll just make fun of the preacher. We'll make fun of, you know, the people when they're singing and we'll sing everything off key and, you know, we'll just cause trouble. But something happened that night that Robert was not expecting. After hearing the message, it moved him deeply and it made him rethink his life and how he was living. So nearly three years after hearing that sermon, a 20-year-old Robert Robinson made his peace with God and found full and free forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, he joined up with the Methodists and he was feeling the call to preach. So the the self-taught Robinson was appointed by John Wesley himself to the Calvinist Methodist Chapel in Norfolk, England. And it was there to accompany his sermon for Pentecost Sunday in 1758, which was the three-year anniversary of his conversion, he penned the words of his hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Now, the first stanza is you know, all about praise for the Lord and adoration. And, you know, for Pentecost, it was very fitting. But the last two stanzas almost feel like a spiritual autobiography for Robinson. He realized that he needed help. And he'd probably been looking for help, you know, all along, but he was looking in all the wrong places. Kind of like me sometimes. Maybe kind of like you. But he finally went to the Lord, who'd been waiting to help him, and he came up with this hymn to give praise to God and to tell his story. Now, I'm just going to share verses 1 and 2. There's three. I'm just going to share the first two. And if you've been into the mainline Protestant churches, you're familiar with the words. But it's, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it, mount of God's unchanging love. Okay, now here's verse 2. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I am come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when I was a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Robinson realized that he needed help. But what was the Ebenezer? Well, he knew that the Lord had given him victory, just like Samuel and the Israelites were given victory over the Philistines. Now, I should be having 
some Ebenezer's inside and outside my house. When I, I think of the, the churches that I served, the many hospitals that I went to, the funeral services that I performed, and many other places that the Lord's given me victory. You know, I'd have a lot of Ebenezer's set up in many different places. If I had stayed in one place throughout my whole ministry, our yard would look like a cemetery with all the stones set up all over the place. And I wouldn't like that because I'd have to mow around them. But, well, I thought I'd heard the last of Ebenezer, except at Christmas, of course. But there's a contemporary Christian song that's popular right now. The title is Just As Good by Chris Limzima. And this is a chorus. It says, And I will build an altar and stack it stone by stone, because every Ebenezer says, I've never been alone. My faith will surely falter, but that don't change what you've done, because every Ebenezer points to where my help comes from. Okay, like I said, we all need help. And when the Lord helps us, we need to realize that. You know, we don't need to go out and stack up some stones. But we need to be sure that we're giving God the glory. You know, the amount of help that we receive from the Lord, it doesn't depend on our faith. Praise God for that. You know, if God was only going to give me as much help as the faith that I had in him, he wouldn't be helping me very much. Sometimes when I need help the most, my faith level is just not very high. You know, it'd be like that dipstick in your car. You know, you put it in and, boy, just a little bit on the tip of it. And that would be where my faith would measure. And sometimes it's my lack of faith that causes me to need more help. That one line says it all. Because every Ebenezer says, I've never been alone. After Moses died and Joshua had been chosen to lead the Israelites, Joshua needed some assurance that he could get the job done. I mean, he had been Moses' right-hand man for a long time, and he'd you know, seen the things that Moses did, and now all of a sudden Moses is gone, and he's the man. Well, in Joshua chapter 1, the first three verses, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I promised to give them, the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. That's good news. Amen? But there's more. Because God goes on to say, no one, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. God is always, always, always going to be there to help us as well. Now, one important word to point out in this passage 
is the word give. Okay, God says, I will give you every place where you set your foot. That didn't mean that there wasn't going to be any battles. As a matter of fact, there was over 30 battles to possess all that land. But God gave the victories. God provided the needed help. And God gave Joshua one more reminder about his presence in verse 9. It says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Okay? Don't fear, is what he's saying. Don't think that you're going to be defeated. Because I'm with you. Okay? I got your back. Now, if you think this sounds familiar, it's because you heard it in the book of Deuteronomy before, chapter 31, verses 7 and 8. It says, Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. You know, I'm, I'm sure that Joshua felt good when Moses told him this. You know, God's going to be with me. And then he would have felt even better when God told him he was going to be with him and told him not to fear, told him to be courageous. But that's all well and good, but... Well, how do we know things won't change? You know, the Israelites, like I said, they were on again and off again with the Lord so many times. And how do we know that things aren't going to change? Well, in Hebrews 13, 7 and 8, the writer tells us this. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And also in Hebrews 6, beginning in verse 16, it says, People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all arguments, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. God's always going to be there for us. Okay, He's always going to be our Ebenezer, no matter what we're going through. You know, and if we're going through the same thing over and over and over again, like I said, there was over 30 battles that the Israelites had to fight. Okay, and God was there time and time again. You know, just like Robert Robinson knew that he needed to give credit to God for taking him from where he was to be the man of God that the Lord needed him to be. Well, 
you know, we need to realize the same things. Maybe the physical act of setting up a stone where you and I will constantly see it might not really be too bad of a reminder. You know, maybe that front door, back door, however you come into your house, you know, maybe right outside, maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea for us to set up a stone and name it our Ebenezer. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks and praise and glory for you, for your word. Lord, your word is the same yesterday, today, and forever, just like you. And Father, I praise you for that because, you know, we need to know that it's the anchor that we can hang on to, that no matter what we're going through, that you're going to be there with us, you're going to be there for us. Uh, the outcome might not be just exactly what we wanted. It may not come just exactly in the timing that we had, but Lord, it'll be your answer, and that's what we want. And sometimes your answer and our answer, maybe they don't look at all alike, but Lord, your answer is the best. So Father, I know my brothers and sisters know this, and Lord, that they stand on it. So Father, help us to be strong and to realize that that, that help is there, that that Ebenezer is there for us, that you are faithful. And if someone is listening and they, they don't know this and, you know, calling a rock Ebenezer sounds really weird to them, Lord, help them to see the truth of the gospel, that all throughout the Old Testament, that it points to the New Testament, that it points to Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah. And that's what they need in their lives. That, Lord, they need to realize that, you know, they've been struggling for a long time maybe some for 60, 70, 80 years, but that the Lord has been there just waiting for them to acknowledge him and to come to him, just like Robert Robinson. You know, that they he maybe had heard a message before about you and it didn't stick. But Lord, that one time it did, and that he gave his life to you and that you used him for great things. So Father, help us to know that we need you in our lives. So Father, help us to pray just like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. Please forgive me and help me be better. Help me to love you. Help me to, to love those around me. And Lord, help me to uh, tell others about you and the great things that you've done for me. In Jesus' name, amen.